You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Another supply chain incident surfaces. The Natan sabotage seems to have landed a punch, but not a knockout blow against Iran's nuclear program. China's big data gangs and their place in the criminal economy. Tolerating ransomware gangs in Russia? Betsy Carmelite looks at the intersection of 5G and zero trust. Rick Howard is focusing on finance and fraud in the latest season of CSO Perspectives. And Russia's counter-retaliation for U.S. sanctions in the SolarWinds affair. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 19th, 2021. U.S. authorities are investigating an incident affecting the software auditing company Code Cove. Reuters reports it amounts to another potential supply chain compromise specifically of the firm's Bash uploader. Bleeping Computers says Code Cove became aware of the problem on April 1st when customers notified them that they'd spotted suspicious activity and that attackers seemed to have been active since January when they began stealing developers' credentials. Code Cove has published a security update with remediation advice and a history of how the incident unfolded. Quote, On Thursday, April 1st, 2021, we learned that someone had gained unauthorized access to our Bash uploader script and modified it without our permission. The actor gained access because of an error in CodeCove's Docker image creation process that allowed the actor to extract the credential required to modify our Bash uploader script. 
The company says it secured and remediated the affected script and undertook an investigation with the support of a forensic firm Code Cove brought in. Preliminary results say that, quote, beginning January 31, 2021, there were periodic unauthorized alterations of our Bash uploader script by a third party, which enabled them to potentially export information stored in our users' continuous integration environments. This information was then sent to a third-party server outside of CodeCove's infrastructure. Quote. CodeCove says three categories of data and services are potentially affected. Once more, quote, any credentials, tokens, or keys that our customers were passing through their CI runner that would be accessible when the Bash uploader script was executed, any services, data stores, and application code that could be accessed with these credentials, tokens, or keys, and the Git Remote Informati to CodeCove in CI, end quote. CodeCove recommends that its users re-roll all their affected credentials, tokens, and keys. Reuters notes that some early reaction has compared the CodeCove compromise to the SolarWinds incident. Both represented attacks on the software supply chain. The Jerusalem Post reports that Iran has acknowledged that the explosion at its Natanz uranium enrichment facility in fact disabled a large number of centrifuges, but also records speculation that the action against Natanz, which is widely held to have been organized by Israel's Mossad, fell short of a knockout blow to Iran's weapons program, which Iran denies having. For its part, Iran says it's got a suspect in the sabotage, which appears to have been a bomb, that their suspect has fled abroad, and that they've asked Interpol to track him down. Interpol could not confirm to the BBC that they had the suspect on their fugitive watch list. And with this, we conclude our coverage of the Natan story, unless some unknown cyber angle should develop. Intel 471 has published a report on the Chinese criminal market for big data, It's large, well-structured, and marked by clear organizational hierarchies and division of labor. It's worth noting that this particular underworld does not seem to be thriving with the encouragement or tolerance of the domestic government. Chinese police appear to investigate and arrest gang members and their customers when they can find them. As Intel 471 puts it, quote, Chinese authorities reportedly adopted measures to crack down on the illegal big data trade and tighten regulations governing personal data and privacy. A series of regulatory measures regarding Internet privacy protection and the security of personal information reportedly was introduced by the Cyberspace Administration of China in addition to the large-scale crackdown. End quote. What's that? What government would connive with organized crime? Well, many believe the Russian government would. The New Zealand website Stuff has a long account of how Evil Corp and other ransomware gangs operate under the sufferance of the Russian government. Observation of Russophone dark web chatter by the security firm Advanced Intelligence picks up such comments as, Mother Russia will help, love your country, and nothing will happen to you. Ransomware can be strategically damaging, and gangs like Evil Corp studiously avoid action against Russia and closely allied targets in parts of the former Soviet near abroad. And finally, as expected in a customary tit-for-tat, Russia expelled 10 U.S. diplomats over the weekend. It's a counter-retaliation for Washington's expulsion of 10 Russian diplomats last week, Deutsche Welle reports. 
Baseball fans will recognize an analogy when their pitcher plunks one of yours. Your pitcher is going to throw some chin music in the next inning. This is expected. The U.S. took the action as part of its response to the solar wind supply chain compromise, an operation the U.S. intelligence community has attributed to Russia's SVR foreign intelligence service. The Kremlin also expelled three Polish diplomats after Warsaw ejected the same number of Russian personnel on Thursday. Euronews says that Poland ejected the three Russian diplomats in response to what the Polish government characterized as Russia's hostile actions. The U.S. Cyber Command and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency last week released what they described as samples of Russian malware used in the incident. But Russian authorities continue to maintain, the Moscow Times reports, that the U.S. attribution of the SolarWinds incident to Russia is nonsense. It's entirely possible that both sides of the dispute may take additional action. Russian sanctions wouldn't, as Deutsche Welle reports, have the sort of effect on the U.S. economy that American sanctions would have on Russia's, but that doesn't mean that Moscow is without resources, short of combat and short of hacking. One possible response, the expression of which Deutsche Welle attributes to Fyodor Lukyanov, a foreign policy expert at the Russian International Affairs Council, is closer diplomatic and economic cooperation with China. Lukyanov said, quote, Closer cooperation with China on coordinating actions to contain the United States will develop more quickly now as the Chinese are interested in that. End quote. In spite of Moscow's economic clout falling short of what Washington can muster, Lukyanov says that Russia has ample capabilities to stimulate changes in the world order. Such cooperation has been under discussion for some months, as both Russia and China have been subjected to U.S. and other Western sanctions in response to state-directed hacking. Hey everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com resilience. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And it is my distinct pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer, also our chief analyst. Uh, Rick, welcome back. Thank you, sir. It's good to be back. It's been a couple of weeks, and uh, you've got some exciting news that you're bringing with you today. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, here's what's happened. For the last couple of weeks, CSO Perspectives has been on a hiatus, uh, getting you ready for season five. But I'm happy to announce that the first episode of that season goes out today. And for the entire season, we are tackling an issue that I've been debating with other security executives for well over a decade. Hmm. Are the yeah, you ready for this? Because it's a good one, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> bracing myself. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Hold on. Okay, strap in. Uh, so here it is. Are the strategies that security practitioners pursue different because of the vertical they reside in, or because hmm. the digital environment we are charged to protect is somehow? You know, not traditional, like IoT environments or supply chain arrangements, those kinds of things. In hmm. other words, okay, if we're in the financial vertical or the healthcare vertical or the even the energy vertical, is our collection of strategies different? So this episode, we're going to focus on the financial vertical, and we brought in some 100-pound brain financial experts, <laughs> right, <laughs> to have us sit at the hash table and discuss it with us. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that's not all. Of course, CSO Perspectives is on the pro side of CyberWire. So that's our subscription side. So uh, if you're not a subscriber, you won't be able to access it. But uh, you're doing something on the free side today as well. Yeah, that's right. So for uh, those of our listeners who have yet to pony up for a CyberWire Pro subscription, you know, and and by the way, what are you waiting for? <laughs> that's right. Because, <laughs> you know, you and I talk about this week after week, and I know that they are feeling intrigued and curious about what we are mm-hmm. discussing on the uh, the side of the CyberWire yeah. offer. Well, they're feeling left out. They're yeah, feeling yeah, left yeah, out. Yeah, they feel like yeah. they need to, you know, do something, right? Sure, sure. Okay. All right. So maybe not enough to plop down their hard-earned cash to get a taste of it. So mm. we, we have a deal for them. We are releasing episodes from season one starting today on the free side so that they can get a sense of what the podcast is all about. And this first episode is on sassy. And, you know, say it with me, Dave. Sassy. You know, it's, sassy. <laughs> yes. yes. It's, it's yes, one of my favorite topics, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah. and I think the listeners will get a lot out of it. And as they listen to season one episodes each week, they can decide if they want to be with the cool kids who are listening to the most up-to-date shows <laughs> over on season five. Right. <laughs> or slumming with me and the rest of the gang over here on the free side. Yeah, right? you guys. Okay. Yeah, well, okay, I see. We're, I we're see throwing, how it is. We're throwing a bone to you guys. All right, so. All right. I see how it is. All right. So, Rick Howard, welcome back. Uh, CSO Perspectives, again, is over on CyberWire Pro. Do check it out. Uh, I have to say it is good stuff and well worth your time. Rick, thanks for joining us. Thank you, man. (music) 
And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Betsy Carmelite. She's a senior associate at Booz Allen Hamilton. Betsy, it's always great to have you back. You know, you and I recently were chatting about zero trust architecture. um, And I wanted to to explore that a little further, specifically as we're starting to see the build out and adoption of of 5G. How, How does that all play into zero trust? Sure, where where zero trust can be applied here as a security approach. Again, those those tenets of assuming breach, never trust, always verify, use least privilege access, um, where this applies to nascent five 5G technology is getting out ahead with risk reduction now in a mission-centric context. So while 5G technology is in development now, the security components and requirements will not be fully understood or inherently applied until the networks are actually deployed. Um, 5G networks will introduce new pathways of attack and expand the attack surface for organizations. And another concern very much at the forefront of everybody's mind in the security industry now is the protection of the supply chain and really the supply chain for 5G network hardware. So at the, the basic uh, building block levels of, of 5G itself, concerns with that? Sure. So when when we talk about the the 5G mission-centric approach to zero trust, one of the things we talk about is um, looking specifically at how an organization plans to adopt 5G across the enterprise. And if we look at the Department of Defense as an example, consider its enterprise, and it can be really overwhelming. Um, It will have to work through worldwide existing 5G infrastructure, and it will assume those worldwide 5G um, applications are untrusted and will have vulnerabilities. Uh, With 5G adoption in the IoT environment, adversaries could, for example, exploit IoT security gaps to sabotage missions and equipment, compromise operational security, and jeopardize the lives of military leaders and warfighters. And so we have to assume breach in these cases. This is where we see the need for the security culture and the mindset shift to zero trust coming in to protect our military service women and men and infrastructure, and where we see the NSA urging adoption of zero trust for critical networks, which does include DOD and national security system networks. Can, can you help me understand, I mean, how in this, uh, the context in which, um, you know, 5G is not merely, uh, you know, 4G, but one faster? So to that question, Dave, I wanted to refresh on some of the points about 5G that I had touched on before um, as a starting point before we jump into um, an example. 5G is really the convergence of the physical device realm and the digital environment at scale. So it's the consumer level um, and at the the critical infrastructure level. Because of this convergence and scale, security has to be part of the design because any breach or attack, and we would be looking at a high-impact, high-probability event. And finally, 5G may be gaining popularity over 4G, as we can see from advertising and discussion in the media, but 5G is really in its nascent stage so now is the time to prepare for a secure application of 5G uh, zero trust before pervasive adoption in the coming four to five years. I think it's, uh, for me personally, it's something I'm really um, finding myself challenged at, at wrapping my head around. Can you give us an example? 
Sure, sure. So let's stay on this uh, Department of Defense example, a scenario that we've been working with through that would require, again, these concepts, use of least privilege access and never trust, always verify, is the insider threat. So imagine a disgruntled military service person working in a DOD smart warehouse where equipment, some of it maybe sensitive communications equipment, is deployed and maintained. That person may want to modify data being processed on a military logistics system. Um, and, and specifically in the 5G example, let's say it's with the multi-access edge compute. That's the MEC deployment at that warehouse. Uh, for context, MEC distributes data and computation intensive tasks to resources across the radio interfaces. Um, so the person could modify the data on the MEC and the scenario could be to indicate the equipment is not available, might be delayed, and in turn falsely communicates that a unit's operationally unprepared, causes mission sabotage, possibly compromises the operational security of a mission, um, among other impacts like um, you know, knowing the unit's movements or changing the plan, their plans as a result. And so zero trust would help us how? Yeah, so in this case, a mitigation could be to limit the service person's data access based on security policies. Um, mm. So that's where the use least privilege access comes in. Um, and so look at the user role, uh, the device attributes that that person uses um, to reduce the chance of unauthorized access to the, to the mech. Um, and then the modification of the data could also trigger the need to validate and ensure the data being processed is the same warehouse data that was reported from the smart sensors in the 5G network in the smart warehouse. It could trigger the use of artificial intelligence or machine learning to monitor and detect deviations in equipment availability or volume in that warehouse, and it could flag suspicious changes for investigation. So that's the concept of never trust, always verify. Hmm. All right. Well, fascinating stuff. Betsy Carmelite, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. No matter how you slice it, it comes up peanuts. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. Find Grumpy Old Geeks, where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.